our gracious and loving Father, I pray to you, Father, thanking you for your blessings, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. I ask you, Father, to be with us in this study as we'll be considering a very interesting and in some ways perplexing and very challenging parable taught by your son. Help us, Father, get the correct understanding to the best of our ability to make the necessary application to learn from this parable the need to trust you and to be a good steward of our blessings. And Father, we just give you the glory for all the good things we have in our lives. We're thankful for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. We're thankful for heaven and the hope we have of heaven as your people. Bless us, Father. Thank you for your word that you receive the glory in all things because you're awesome and majestic and, and wonderful. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. Take out your Bibles at home right now and go over into Luke, the 16th chapter. Whether you're at home or at a friend's house, maybe taking a break on your job, wherever you might be, thank you for studying with me this evening. We're in our 10th lesson in our 12-lesson series about the parables of Jesus. Tonight, we're going to be studying from Luke, the 16th chapter. Go on your Bible to Luke, the 16th chapter. Here in Luke, the 16th chapter we find what many believe to be one of the most confusing and perplexing and difficult parables of Jesus. This is a parable that many consider to be very difficult. It's a parable about a, a bad man. It's about a bad worker or employee who was irresponsible with his boss's money. He did unethical things with his boss's money. He mishandled his boss's finances. In fact, his actions were so bad, they were so unethical and sinful that Jesus says he was fired. He was fired immediately, right on the spot. He was dismissed from his, from his job. He was let go. And on the way out, he continued to do bad stuff. He continued to cheat his employer by falsifying the quote-unquote books to his own advantage. This was a very unethical and sinful man. And Jesus tells us a parable about this man. He tells us a parable that is commonly called the parable of the unrighteous steward. The parable of the unrighteous steward. Again, this parable, my dear friends, is considered by many to be the most difficult parable of Jesus. It is considered to be the most perplexing and complicated of all of Jesus' parable. It is a parable where many assume and falsely believe that Jesus is actually commending the sinful actions of this steward. And so read with me what the parable says. Luke 16, verses 1 through 14. 
Luke 16 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now he was also saying to the disciples, Jesus is saying to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I will do so that when I'm removed from the management, uh, from the, from the management people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and, and, and write 80. And his master praised his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly for, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Verse 9, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of, of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. He is who is he who is faithful in a very in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. You cannot serve God in money. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to these things and scoffing, scoffing at him. This is a parable of the unrighteous steward. And let's spend a few minutes breaking down what's going on here. Let's start with the setting. In verse number one, the Bible says that Jesus began speaking to his disciples. The Lord is talking to disciples. He's teaching a parable to people who believe in him and follow him. That's what a disciple is, someone who follows Jesus He's talking to people like Peter and Andrew and Thomas and James and John and even Judas at this time. He's talking to the disciples. He tells a story, uh, tells a story that contains two main characters. One is a rich man. One is a very wealthy man, a man of authority, of a lot of authority, and the other was his manager. The main characters are a rich man and his manager, and while neither of these men are named in the parable, both of their roles 
were well understood in Bible times. Let's start with the rich man. We can also call him the master because of his relationship to this manager or the steward. The master was a man of great wealth. We know this because he had a manager. The very fact that he had a servant who managed his affairs demonstrates that he's a very wealthy man. He would have been a multimillionaire, maybe even a billionaire by today's standards. The fact that he has a manager or a steward signifies that he's a man of status. He's a man of position. He's a man of honor. The Lord even calls him rich in verse number one. The first man we're introduced to in the parable is a very wealthy man, a man who is so wealthy that he's able to have a servant who manages his daily affairs. In fact, Let's say some things about the manager. The manager or the steward, he was someone who also had considerable authority. During this time, when a wealthy person hired a steward, he gave that steward considerable authority over his household. The steward was the sole manager of all that the master had. He held the position of what we would call a business administrator. This means that he could buy, he could sell, he could negotiate, he could do all the things that were necessary to manage the affairs of his master. He was somebody who had considerable authority in the master's house. And if you want a good example of this from the Bible, think about Joseph in Genesis 39. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Remember, after Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, he was eventually bought by a man named Potiphar in Egypt. And Potiphar made Joseph the steward, the manager of his household. He entrusted Joseph with essentially everything over his household. He even entrusted Joseph with his, with his wife. Remember, she made a false accusation against Joseph. She said he was trying to rape her, which he was not. She was just upset that he turned down her advances. But Potiphar entrusted Joseph with a lot of responsibility. He was a steward. He was a manager in Potiphar's household. He was trusted by Potiphar. What Joseph was in Genesis 39 is what this man is here in Luke chapter 16. He is a trusted manager. He's a steward over a wealthy man's household. Now, let's continue on here with what the text says about this steward. In describing the steward and his work in the master's house, notice how verse 1 says, at least in my translation, the New American Standard, it says that this manager, this manager squandered his master's possessions. Some of your translations may say he wasted his master's possessions. He did unethical stuff. He was somebody who did crooked and unethical things with his master's money. The master eventually found out about this. And the evidence was so strong against this manager that he was quickly dismissed. He was 
fired without delay. In fact, the evidence was so strong that the steward did not even make a defense for himself. He didn't even try to wiggle his way out of this. He didn't even try to say, well, well you know, this is what happened or you're taking this the wrong way. He didn't try to make a defense for himself. He didn't try to justify his actions. He took the punishment. He knew he was guilty. He, he knew that there was no need for debate or for any more discussion. He was busted. He knew that he clearly had been caught. He was an unethical man. He had done unethical things with his master's money, and he was fired. But before he's fired, notice how he is first called to give an account for his actions. The manager wants to talk to him before he lets him go. He wants to call him onto the carpet to give an account for his actions. But before he does that, before he's officially let go, look at what the Bible says in verses 3 through 4. Again, Luke 16, verse 3. Follow me here. It says, the manager said to himself, this is the manager when he realizes he's in trouble, he's busted, he's about to lose his job. He says to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do so that, I, when, I, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me. People, the clients of my master, they'll welcome me into their homes. Let those words from the steward sit in your heart and marinate for just a moment. Do you see what this man is doing? Do you see it? Do you see how people of the world, I'm not talking about Christians, I'm talking about people of the world, do you see how people of the world might view what this man is doing here as very smart, very clever, very shrewd? You see, since this man knows that he's about to lose his job, Jesus says that he start doing some unethical stuff. He starts doing more unethical things. This time he's doing unethical things to make sure that he's taken care of and that he can survive after he's been let go by his boss. You see, this man, before he's, let, before he's officially let go, he decides to engage in self-preservation. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do some favors, some unethical favors for the clients of my boss. The Bible says that the steward defrauded his master by discounting those who owed his master. He actually gave them Huge discounts, discounts that accounted for large sums of money. He actually set up a crooked, a system of crooked kickbacks for all of his master's debtors. He did favors for them because he wanted them to watch out for him once he lost his job. Again, this is all about self-preservation. Looking back at the text, notice what he says. 
I'm about, he's, verse 3, I'm, I'm about to get fired here. I'm about to lose my job. And I don't, I don't want to dig. I don't want to dig ditches. And I got too much pride to beg. I'm not going to beg either. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to do favors for the clients of my master. And then they'll look out for me. They'll take care of me once I lose my job. Do you see how this man will be viewed as smart by crooked people in the world? I want to focus on one particular example here that really shows this. That really shows the kind of favors this man was doing for the clients of his master. In verse 6, I'm just going to look at verse 6 right here. Verse 6, he said, he said, then this is the client. He asked him, how much do you owe my master? How much do you owe him? And the client said this. He said in response to the manager's question, a hundred measures of oil. I owe him a hundred measures of oil. That's how much this man is in debt. And the manager said to this guy, he says, okay, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Notice how he cut the bill in half. He cut the bill in half. The guy owed 100 measures of oil, and he said, no, we're going to make it so. I'm gonna, we're going to put it on paper that you owe just 50. Let's talk about this oil. The oil here probably represents olive oil. Olive oil was very precious and expensive during the time of the first century. The steward cut this man's bill in half. That would be equivalent to several thousand dollars by our money today. He cut this man's bill by several thousand dollars. He just decreased the bills of all the men who were in debt to his master. This is the kind of stuff that he was doing. He was, quote unquote, saving people thousands and thousands of dollars. He did this before he was officially kicked out of the company. He's doing unethical stuff. He's saving people a lot of money. He's lying about what they owe the master because he's trying to save his own skin. He's looking out for his future. He's involved in self-preservation. He says, well, my boss is going to fire me, but I'm going to do favors for the clients because then they'll take care of me once I lose my job. Then I won't have to beg. Then I won't have to do hard manual labor. That's the kind of stuff this man does, but the master finds out about it. He finds out about it. He finds out about this man's system of self-preservation. He finds out about what he was doing unethically to preserve or look out for his future. And interestingly enough, the master prays the steward's shrewdness. That's what Jesus said in verse number eight. Jesus says that the master praised the unrighteous manager, because he acted shrewdly. Very interesting. While the master is angry, he's angry. He's upset like any manager would be. He did acknowledge, interestingly enough, that this man had acted wisely. He had acted wisely by, by doing something very shrewd. He says, okay, I'm, this is wrong what you're doing, and I'm still going to fire you, and I'm even even more angry with you now, but I give you credit for trying to be smart here. I'll give you credit for looking out for your future. 
the master was angry, but he does commend the shrewdness of the steward. Now, this is a very interesting parable. It's, it's just very interesting, very, very interesting. And I want to just say a few things about it. First, before we go any further, I want to emphasize to you, with every ounce of my being, that this guy, this steward, is a wicked man. Okay? This is a wicked man. He's an unrighteous man. He's an unethical man. He may have been shrewd, but he's wicked. He's a sinful man. He's going to be given account to God for the evil stuff he's doing. Let's, let's be clear about that, okay? Secondly, I also want to say this. Contrary to what some say when they look at this parable, the Lord never commends this man's sinful actions. He never commends the unethical stuff that this man is doing. You search this parable from top to bottom, and you'll never one time find the Lord commending this man's sin. That's not the point of the parable. The point of this parable is not to commend the sinful actions of people. In fact, the Lord would never commend any person's sinful actions because he's the Lord. He's holy. He's pure. He never committed one sin in his whole life, and he certainly would never commend and praise sin. In fact, he died on the cross because of sin. Jesus never commends this man's sinful actions. In fact, the Lord himself calls him unrighteous in verse number 8. You see, in this parable, the steward is not commended for his sins. Instead, if he's commended for anything, he's commended, commended by his master, not the Lord, but his master, for being shrewd, for being somewhat wise because he thought about surviving in the future. Now, the question is, why does the Lord even tell this parable? What does the Lord want us to learn from this very perplexing and even difficult parable? We'll go back to verse number 8. Look at verse number 8. After talking about this kickback system, this unethical kickback system that had been set up by the manager, the Bible says the master... The master found out about what he was doing behind the scenes. He praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now look at the next part. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. In that verse, I submit to you, the Lord is telling us the main point of, of this parable. Here in verse number 8, the Lord makes a powerful argument that describes many people, even many disciples today. Here the Lord is saying, he's announcing that the men of the world, the sons of this age, it is my understanding that the sons of this age represent the men of the world, the people of the world, the people who are not part of God's kingdom. In this parable, the Lord announces that the men of this world, wicked as they may be, they're often wiser 
than the sons of light. They're often wiser than those who claim to follow God. Jesus says the people of this world, the sons of this world, the sons of this age are often wiser than the people of God or the sons of light. He says that the children of light, those are disciples, people who walk in the light, people who are the light of the world. The children of light ought to show as much forethought, planning, and preparation as the children of the world. The Lord mentions unrighteous wealth. He's contrasting that with the true riches. The true riches. You see, my friends, this parable is about forethought. It's about planning for your spiritual future. Jesus is making a contrast. He is saying the sons of this age, the people of the world, they often are wiser than the people of God. They think about their future, their financial future their plans, where they want to be in life. Even when they get in trouble, they think about how they're going to survive in that moment, even if it means they do unethical things. Jesus says sometimes the people in the world are wiser than the people of God. They're wiser than the people of God because they plan and think about the future. They plan and think about their physical future, and the children of light ought to be planning and thinking about our spiritual future. That's the point the Lord is making. He emphasizes this as he continues in the text. He mentions unrighteous wealth or unrighteous mammon. He mentions that in verses 9 through 11. That kind of wealth, that unrighteous wealth, is contrasted with the true riches that are also mentioned in verse 11. The unrighteous wealth is a reference to earthly wealth that people put their trust in. Earthly riches that people put their trust in. When Jesus talks about unrighteous wealth, he's talking about the deceitfulness of riches. He is saying that we shouldn't put our money in our riches. We shouldn't put our money in our, in our stuff and our possessions. That's exactly what men like the Pharisees did in his time. In verse 13, he says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. You cannot serve God in money. You can't have two masters. Verse 14 says, the Pharisees were also there, and they were lovers of money, and they were listening to these things, and they were scoffing, wholly dismissing what he had to say. Jesus' point in this parable, like in our last parable we studied about the rich fool, his disciples should never put their trust in material wealth. They never need to put their trust in their money. The wicked, unrighteous steward, he was putting his trust in material wealth. That's all he was thinking about. Disciples shouldn't be like that. Instead of putting our trust in our earthly riches, we need to put our trust in God and use our material wealth, use the physical things God gives us, to help prepare for eternity. Again, think about your spiritual future. Even use your physical resources to help you prepare for your, your spiritual future. Paul makes this point in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul makes this point in verse number 17. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17 instruct those who are rich in this present world. And that would describe the majority of Americans. 
when you compare how we live to the vast majority of people in the world, we are the rich in this present world. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the what? Of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying use your material wealth to help you prepare for eternity. Don't put your trust in your material wealth, but use it to do good works to help you store up treasures in heaven. That's what Paul is saying. And we see this more as the Lord continues to teach in the parable. I want you to go back to verse number nine. There are some questions that we need to ask ourselves about certain parts of this parable. Many of the questions are going to be found in verses 9 through 12. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves is who in the world are these friends he's talking about? What does the Lord mean when he says make friends for yourselves by means of the, of the wealth of unrighteousness? Who are the friends that we need to make for ourselves with the money that God blesses us with? And what does he mean when he says it fails? What does he mean when he says the wealth of unrighteousness fails? And what are these eternal dwellings? In verse 9, Jesus talks about being received into eternal dwellings. These are some questions that we need to find some answers to. They'll help us understand the parable. And let's start with this language when it fails. Question 2. What does Jesus mean when he says it will fail? Well, he's talking about a time when money will fail you. Unrighteous wealth. The reason why you shouldn't put your trust in it. The reason why it can become unrighteous wealth because we put our trust in it is because it fails. Money that we gain in this life, stocks, investments, all that stuff. It ultimately fails. It doesn't matter how much it appreciates over time. Ultimately, it will fail. Ultimately, real estate fails. Money fails. All this stuff fails. Why does it fail? Well, because one day we have to die and leave it. One day we have to die and leave it. You know, one thing that's true about money is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Stocks go up and down. The housing market goes up and down. It's undependable. You can't make good predictions on it. There's no guarantee you'll have it tomorrow. And you certainly won't have it. I certainly won't have it. We certainly won't have it when we die. That's ultimately why unrighteous wealth fails. It fails because it does us no good in the next life. We can't take it with us. We got to leave it all here on this earth for other people to possess, sell, fight over the proceeds. Jesus says there comes a time when money fails every person. I don't care if you have as much money as Bill Gates and Warren Buffett combined. Now let's talk about these friends. 
He says, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. What does that mean? Well, when he talks about friends here, it's my understanding. He's talking about Christians, saints, sons of light, needy disciples. Needy disciples. Make friends for yourselves. Help your brethren. Help people with the wealth God blesses you with. Don't be someone who's just using your money for yourself, using your money just to, you know, make you happy and do what you want. Use your blessings to be a blessing to others. That's what we find all throughout the book of Acts. If you want a great example of someone in the book of Acts who used his unrighteous wealth to make friends for himself, look at Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, Barnabas sold some of his property, his real estate, and gave the proceeds to help needy disciples. That is a man using his material possessions and his money and his stuff to help store up treasures in heaven. He's doing good work with the blessings God has given him. Use your wealth to make friends for yourselves, to help especially needy brethren. And as far as the main point of the parable goes, I submit to you that the main point of the parable has to do with a few different things. One, it has to do with stewardship. It has to do with trusting God above anything else and being a good steward of your blessings. Remember, the unrighteous steward, one of the things that made him unrighteous was he wasn't a faithful steward. He was a bad steward. He squandered and wasted his master's, his master's money. We need to be better than him. We need to be good stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. This parable is about stewardship. And it's also about preparing for the spiritual future. It's also about being wise, wiser than the people of the world. If the people of the world have enough sense to prepare for their physical future, even when they're caught in sin, how much more so should we be wise enough to be preparing for what is to come after this life. We need to be wiser than the world. The unrighteous steward was wise enough to make preparations for his future, even if he did unethical stuff. And Jesus' point is, shouldn't we be just as wise as somebody like him? Shouldn't we be wise enough to know that there's more to come after this life, that this life is not all there is, that one day we got to stand before God and eternity is going to begin for us. And because we know these things are going to take place, shouldn't we every single day be being good stewards of our blessings and our talents and our abilities and be doing whatever we have to do to prepare for what is to come? The righteous steward was wise enough to make preparations for his future. That's why he's shrewd. If he was wise enough to do it, how much more so should we be wise enough to think about the future? How much more so should we be wise enough to make preparations for our spiritual future? How much more so should we be wise enough to be righteous stewards? And I must notice I didn't say unrighteous. I said righteous. How much more so should we be righteous stewards of our money? Notice how many of Jesus' parables are about money. Being a good student of your money. We looked at one of those parables in our last class. Jesus talked a lot about being a good student of your money. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about being a good student of your money. Using your money to take care of your family. To enjoy life at times and to help people. 
to help those in need. Galatians 6.10, do good to all people, but especially those of the household of faith. God expects us to prepare for our spiritual future by being righteous stewards of our possessions, of our wealth, of our money. We also need to be righteous stewards of our time. We all have time. We all have the gift of time, and God expects us to be wise with our time. We have to be good stewards of the time God gives us. We can't be lazy sluggards, but we have to use our time to do the things that God has us to do, particularly when it comes to his work, when it comes to reading his word and praying and doing evangelism, trying to help people come to him before it's too late. We also need to be good stewards of our talents and our abilities. In the kingdom of God, the Bible says in 1 Peter 4 that we all have talents and abilities that God has given us. They differ. And God expects us to use those talents and abilities, whatever they may be, for his glory. He expects us to be good stewards of our spiritual gifts. You see, here in this parable, the Lord is talking about the need to be righteous. Not unrighteous, but righteous and good stewards of our blessings. To prepare for what is to come. To prepare for our spiritual future. That's what he means by eternal dwellings. That's what he means by true riches. He's talking about heaven. You want the true riches. You want your eternal dwelling to be with God. Well, that's what you want. You need to prepare for it. You need to be a good steward of your blessings. You need to use your blessings to store up treasures in heaven. It's interesting how after Jesus told this parable in verse 14, the Bible says the Pharisees who were lovers of money, they were just like the unrighteous steward. They were listening and scoffing. They didn't receive this teaching well at all. The question is, how will you receive it? How will you receive the teaching of Jesus? How will you receive the challenge from Jesus to think about your spiritual future? To understand that your time is limited and you need to be making preparations for what is to come. You need to do that, according to this parable, by using your physical blessings to do good works, to give to the Lord and to help his people. That's pleasing to God. That's looking out for your future. And if the Lord or if this man's master, rather, would commend him for at least thinking about the future, how much more so will the Lord commend you for thinking about your spiritual future if you live a righteous life and do his will? Thank you for studying with me tonight. Again, this is a difficult parable. It's an interesting parable, but I hope that it made some sense to you. I hope you'll keep studying it and keep reading it. May God bless you and God bless your family. We have two more lessons left in this series. And I look forward to studying with you in our next class. We're going to stay in the Gospel of Luke. There's one more parable I want to look at from Luke, and then we'll study one from Matthew to close out the series. Thank you for studying with me tonight.